Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Well, thanks to the team for uh, leading us today, and uh, I, I don't know how the, the energy is uh, transitioning through your screen, but in the room here, uh, there's a handful of people here. It's been exciting to, to actually uh, sing with the team, and they led us well, so thank you so much to them, and uh, yeah, that's so fantastic. So a few things before I jump into my uh, message today, the talk that we have for you. Uh, I just want to mention a few things that maybe you missed off the top of the service today. Uh, tonight, which is August 15th, 2021, if this is when you're watching it, we have our Worship on the Lawn experience at 6 p.m. in Poplar Hill. And it is a beautiful day, uh, and so we are so excited that uh, we're not going to be canceling it, which is, I'm, I'm thankful for that. It's a beautiful day outside, and uh, we want to invite you to be part of this experience on the lawn. Uh, the band is ready to go. We're so excited, and uh, I'm going to share a short message tonight for uh, on the Worship on the Lawn experience. So please, please, please be part of that. I think you can sign up through the website, vitalpointchurch.com. I'm getting the nod for that, that you can get tickets for that. If you show up, Without a ticket, we'll just register you at that moment, and uh, so please be part of that tonight, which is going to be amazing. Also, which was said off the top of the service today, is September is coming very, very quickly, and we're super stoked. Yeah, you guys are all laughing in the front row. It's like, oh yeah, it's coming fast. And uh, September 5th is our uh, big outdoor service in Poplar Hill. We hope you're part of that. Baptisms, baby dedications, uh, we're going to lay that all out on our website real soon. You can be part of that. And also September 12th is relaunching. Our current plan is to relaunch in-person gatherings in both Poplar Hill and in Exeter. And uh, we're very, very, very close to landing the venue in Exeter, and we'll be pushing all that information out as we get closer, but we're super excited to be back into person. Isn't it going to be great? Mark is sitting here, he's just leading. He's stoked about in person, I can just tell, and uh, it's going to be exciting. I know I am, and uh, actually, this is not part of what I was going to share, but yesterday I did a wedding outside. There was like 80 people at the wedding, and it felt good to speak to a live crowd. Um, so other than just a camera, so I can't wait for the in-person. Uh, just so you know, uh, even though we're talking about in-person, we're not going anywhere online. We're staying online, and we're going to be continuing to provide those tools for you online, because we know there's a lot of you that have been tracking with Vital Point. Uh, all the way across Canada and into the states that are following, and we are so excited that you're doing that, and we're going to continue to provide the online. All right, so you can also serve online, which is another story. We'll explain that at another point. All right, so I want to jump into um, our conversation today. It was May 2020 of last year. I sat in my basement in the dark, and I was completely undone. I had a heaviness in me that I couldn't explain. It was a moment in my journey last year where I found myself in the dark, tears flowing, uncertain as to how and what to do. We were a few months into the pandemic and all the news was bad and the reports were horrible. We thought was what was going to be a two-week shutdown at that point had been a few months. 
And we were tracking this, and we were watching this, and we were trying to figure out what we were going to do as a church and what organization and businesses were going to do. There were Zoom meetings, there was conversations, we were physically distancing from each other, and we were all living this, but that wasn't what was causing me to sit in my basement in the dark in tears, in a sense of brokenness. I had journeyed through a number of months of being obedient to something that God had, I believe God had asked me to do and to step into that moment and things didn't go the way I had thought or way I had planned or the way I had prayed. I knew I was obedient, but yet things didn't sort of unpack the way I thought they would, which created this incredible heaviness in me. It's interesting when I think about this in this moment because there are times in our lives, and, and Mark referred to it earlier, there are times in our lives when we're called to obedience, we're called to step into these moments, but for whatever reason, they may not go the way we want them to go. They may unfold in a way that kind of catches us off guard, and so we find ourselves questioning God. We sort of question faith, and we might have doubts creep in, and there's sometimes a, a cloud of darkness rolls over us in these seasons. And we kind of go, what is happening? Maybe you're not tracking with me. Maybe you're not identifying with a sense of walking in obedience to something. Maybe it's different for you. Maybe it's a season that you're in right now where you feel internally upside down. You have maybe lost the storyline of your life. You've been zigging and zagging back and forth, or the plumb line is gone, and there just seems to be so much confusion and darkness, and you don't know why. You can't explain it, but it's just there. And it's a sense of, what am I going to do in this moment? How do I navigate through this particular season? And it might be, it might be something in your family. Or it might be something related to work, or maybe it's a financial situation, or maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a pattern of addiction that you, you know you just want to break free from it, but it just kind of crashes in on you. You know, I, found it, I find it so interesting that in the day and age in which we live, we often have this incredible gap between the image that we want people to see, the filtered life through our social media, but yet behind the scenes, we're lonely. Things are upside down in our lives. I had this conversation recently with a friend, and, and the friend was describing their life, and I said, well, it's different than what I see in social media, and he says, yeah, there's, there's a gap there, and not that this person is a bad person, it's just a, a reality of what sometimes happens to us, where we try to portray our lives as being okay, but yet internally we feel like we're falling apart and everything is upside down. Maybe you're not tracking with that. Maybe you're in a season where everything's great. You know, maybe your marriage is amazing, your work is great, your health is fantastic, you've got more money in the bank than you know what to do with, and you're kind of like, this is, things are so awesome. My kids are, like, well-behaved. Life couldn't be greater. My teenagers love me. They haven't yet abandoned me. You feel great, right? You know that feeling. You're in this season, but the reality is we know what life can be like. Life can turn a corner so quickly, right? Life can turn so fast to a place of darkness. What do we do? How do we navigate those seasons well? It's a question we all ask ourselves when there's fear, when there's uncertainty, 
when there's a sense of, of lostness with inside our being, where do we go, what do we do? I want to I suggest to you today that we do something that is revealed in the Bible to us through the different personalities of the Bible. I, I love the Bible. And, and, and you might say, well, of course, you're a pastor, you got to love the Bible. But I do. Because I find the Bible as this ancient text that we often look at from an ancient perspective has incredible power to speak into our lives today. It's alive, it is active, and it can cut right through into our souls. This is the beauty and the wonder of the scriptures. But what we also see in the scriptures is we see personalities that we can draw truth from, that we can gain insight from. And one of the things that we see over and and over and over again in the personalities of the Bible, when they face difficult moments and struggles in darkness, is that many of them postured themselves with this phrase. This phrase is this, here I am. Here I am. I want you to write that down. You can type it in the chat if you want. Here I am. See, one of the things that we've been doing this summer is we've been looking at these Hebrew words. We've been looking at Hebrew words, and the reason why we did this is because we recognize that not many of us speak Hebrew or study Hebrew or, or even know how to read Hebrew, and, and so we were, we've, we've thought, well, let's look at these words and see how they apply to our life and faith. And over the course of summer, this is what we've been doing, and what we have discovered is incredible depth incredible depth to life and faith and how these words speak into it. Because our Hebrew word today, are you ready for this? The Hebrew word is hanaini, which means here I am. Hanaini, here I am. And as we think about that word, and as I reflected on that word this week, I began to realize that here I am, hanaini, is the difference between being crushed by our circumstances or rising up in the midst of them. See, so oftentimes we get crushed by our circumstances, but yet God desires for us to rise up in the midst of them with a posture that says, Hanani. Hanani. And no, that's not a character from Harry Potter, just in case you're wondering. Hanani is a Hebrew word. Here I am. Thank you for laughing, all five of you that are in the room. Hanani. Here I am. What I want to do is I want to take you to a Old Testament personality, and I want to take you to his story, and I want to unpack the story, and then I'm going to give us five truths that emerge from this story that are going to help us understand Hanani, here I am. It's going to help us understand how to rise up in the midst of those dark, difficult moments. The character that I want to look at is a character by the name of Gideon. Gideon's story is found in Judges, sections 6, 7, and 8. And I would love for you today, before you go to sleep tonight, or before you watch you know, your Netflix show, or before you drive to Kitchener to go to Chick-fil-A, I want you to... <laughs> yeah, I think there's a Chick-fil-A there, isn't there? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Live in the moment, I'm being yelled at that there's a Chick-fil-A in Kitchener. Oh, there's a family in here that actually went there yesterday. Yes. I, I'm not kidding you, Mark. This is not, you're not supposed to talk to me at this moment. So I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. That's yeah, true. We know what Mark and his family is doing this afternoon. They're going to Chick-fil-A in Kitchener. 
So before you go to Chick-fil-A and Kitchener, back to what I was talking about, I would love for you to read Gideon's story in Judges 6, 7, and 8. And if you don't know where it is, Google it or get the YouVersion app. Or if you've got a Bible, there's an index at the beginning. It tells you where Judges is. Okay, now let's get back on track. Everyone's distracted now by Chick-fil-A. Here we go. I want to set the context for you. I want to set the story for you so you see and understand what's going on. It says this in... Uh, Section 6, verse 1, we'll start there. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. One of the things that sets the context for us as we navigate towards Gideon's story, is to understand a couple of things that are going on in this moment. Two things emerge very quickly that we see. God's people, the Israelites, are fickle, and because of their fickleness, that's a word I want you to repeat, fickleness, God says, fine, I will let you live out your fickleness, but you will reap the consequences to your fickleness. I wanted to say the word fickleness as many times as possible in there. What we see from the very beginning of this particular story and this window of time into God's people, the Israelites, is that they had chosen to do evil in the sight of God. We see that right in verse 1. Israel did what was evil in the sight of God, which essentially means this, that they chose to live life how they desired. They chose to live out their own truth, and they made gods of the land and 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 a multi like. Um, uh, multi-layered levels of God. So they had abandoned their true God, where God says, you will have no other gods but me. They had chosen the gods of the land, and they made idols out of them. They had turned their backs on God. Now, what is so fascinating about moments like this and what we learn about this is that God looks at his people and says, okay, If this is what you want to do, if this is how you choose to live, then you will reap the consequences of it. And for seven years, it's described that the Midianites and and the Amalekites and the people of the East, it's actually, you can look at them as like desert nomads. They were actually in opposition to God's people, and they would strip away anything that provided sustenance for their lives. So they would take the food, they took the animals, and they stripped them to the place of where God's people were found hiding in the caves and the strongholds of the mountains. We see right away that if God, these people chose to live how they desired to live, remove God from the place of worship, ultimate worship, lived how they wanted, and God said, fine, you can live that way, but you're going to reap the consequences of it. Now, I want to say something here, and this is not the point of our conversation, but it's a question that many of us are probably asking. How come God allowed this to happen? Why didn't God force them into his ways? Why didn't God do that? Well, the easiest way to answer that question is that out of God's love, he allowed them to live how they desired to live. I want you to think about it first just a second. It was God's love that gave them the room to live how they desire to live, but thus, therefore, experience the consequences. How can I explain this best for you? 
I can explain it from my own life. My oldest son, David, when he was 18 years old, decided that he could not live up to the values of our home. He couldn't contribute to the values of our home, and he was living his life how he wanted to live his life, as a typical 18-year-old would. Now, what's interesting about this conversation, fast forward to today, he's actually preaching at another church in Cambridge today, so his, you know, the story is very fascinating, very complex, but when he was 18, he came to us and he says, I am moving out. I no longer want to live in this home. I can no longer hold up the values of this home, and out of our love, we gave him the room to make that decision. Was it tough? Was it difficult? Yes. Were there a lot of tears on my wife's behalf? Yes. There were these moments that were so extremely difficult. We so desperately wanted to force him to stay home, to live under the values of our home because we knew what was best for him. But he chose just before his 19th birthday to move out and do his own thing. Love compelled us to give him the room to live out his life the way he desired to do. God will do the same thing. It's interesting when I think about how often we view God. Sometimes we get angry at God because he didn't step in and stop things, but we also get God, get angry at God when he's too controlling and demands too much of us. We live in the, in the, in the tension of these two places, right? But yet in this moment, we see God saying to his people, if you so choose to live this way, then you will reap the consequences of your choices. Now, what is so beautiful about the story, though, in this moment we see that God's people, actually, if you read it for yourself before you go to Chick-fil-A this afternoon, you read it for yourself, you, you see that God's people were crying out for help. They cried out to God for help. And progressing through the story, you begin to see that God, out of his love, out of his compassion, responds to his, the request of his people. And oftentimes what God will do is he'll raise up someone who will step into the moment and bring the deliverance. We see this through a person by the name of Gideon. Let me read it for you, starting in verse 11. This is so amazing. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midians, Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Listen to this. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, I love this moment. I love the interaction between the angel of the Lord and Gideon. Because what we see in this moment is a powerful interaction of a transformation that is about to take place in Gideon's life. As Gideon is approached by the angel of the Lord and given a new assignment, we see the tension of the moment. Because right away, we see from the very beginning, Gideon questions 
the angel of the Lord and repeats the things that have been told to him over and over. Like Gideon, as a little boy, would have been told the stories of God's people being delivered by Moses. He would have been told about the Red Sea. He would have been told about the Promised Land. He would have been able to recite these things over and over and over again. As a little boy, he may have wanted to be Moses when he grew up. When he grew up, he wanted to probably be Moses. And in this particular moment, we see he questions the angel of the Lord. But I want you to see where he is. I want you to understand this moment from a different perspective, even though he's questioning. And we, you know, we're in good company when we question God because Gideon did this. But we find him faithfully thrashing the wheat in the wine press. Now, thrashing the wheat was often supposed to be done out in the open air so that when the wind blew, the chaff would blow it away and you'd be just left with the grains of wheat. But he's hiding in the wine press. I love this moment. Because it speaks to the truth that he was faithful in the small, mundane things of his life. Gideon, he could have crawled up into the fetal position in the caves and stayed there afraid and and afraid of the Midianites and the desert nomads. He could have stayed in there hiding, but yet he was in the wine press thrashing the wheat, faithful in the small things. And it's in this moment that the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, I have something for you. I have something for you to do. And in this moment, we begin to see the transition in Gideon's heart. We begin to see how he begins to understand what it is that he is called to do. I love this interaction. I love the power of the interaction. Because when you begin to realize as Gideon grasps the depth of what he's about to do, it emerges out of the faithfulness of the mundane to the call of the great thing that he is about to step into. Now, we need to fast forward through the story because I want to get to our five things. The interesting part of the story is that as Gideon begins to recognize his place and the call in his life, the here I am, the Hamini moment, you see that God asks him to remove the idols from his people. He's asked to go, you can read this for yourself, he goes and he tears down the altar to Baal and he tears down the, the Asherah pole and those are the symbols of the idols of the land and the gods of the land and he goes and it's, I love this because in the call and the obedience and all this, he's still afraid so he goes at night, he goes in the nighttime to tear these things down because he's a little bit afraid of what's gonna happen but in this moment he goes and he does that. In the morning when people wake up, they see the altar to Baal tearing down, torn down they see the the pole cut down and they see a sacrifice and people are all in a frenzy. They're going, what has happened here? And they realize it was Gideon. And then Gideon's father steps into the moments, quick thinking and saves Gideon's life from these people. But then as it transitions, I love this. He's removed the idols. He's removed the, 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 the distractions of the things of the time in which they were living. And they steps into this moment. And then he gathers the soldiers together. He's got like 32,000 soldiers. And God's like, mm-mm. No, too many, too many. And I'm sure Gideon's like, what? Like, are you sure? And then, then it pairs down to 10,000 and God goes out, too many. Then if you follow the story, it pairs down to 300 men that go and defeat the Midianites. See the progression? 
as I kind of hit the fast forward button and go through it quickly, we begin to realize that Hamayami, the, the idea of here I am, opens this incredible door for God to do a work in Gideon's life and to move it forward and deliver God's people. And at the end of the story, you see this wonderful truth. They experienced 40 years of peace. 40 years of peace. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from this very quick brush through Gideon's life? Five things I want you to consider. Five truths that I believe are essential for us that are going to help us rise up in the middle of maybe the darkness or the uncertainty and the fear, or even to rise up in the midst of when God calls us to something great. Something great. The first thing that I want us to hear is this, and I'm gonna, I have them for you on the screen so you can write them down. The first one is this. God, you see something in me that I don't see. First posture of the truth that I believe is essential is, Hamayimi, here, here I am, is God, you see something in me that I don't see. Parts of the story that I brushed through, and I hope you picked it up. When the angel of the Lord first speaks to Gideon, what does he call him? Mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. How did Gideon see himself? The least of his family, the smallest, the most insecure, the one who was filled with fear. The angel of the Lord saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see, and he calls it out in him. I want you to hear something today. God believes in you. I want, if you get nothing else out of this today, I want you to know that God believes in you. The strength and the power of how God sees you is not just in your weakness, in your insecurities. He sees you as a person of mighty valor. How beautiful, how redefining that is as we consider and as we look at what is in front of us. So oftentimes we look at these moments and we cower away and we don't want, but yet, As we see ourselves the way God sees us, we can step into these moments and experience the strength. And actually, if you notice what he said after after he dialogues with the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord says what? Go in the might that you have. I love that. Go in the might that you have. God, I've got nothing to give. I've got like an ounce left. Go with what you have. Go with what you have. Why? Because how God sees us, but then what does he say? I will go with you. I'm sending you, I'm gonna go with you, I see who you are, I believe in you. Sorry for pointing at you, I shouldn't point at you. It is a powerful truth that emerges that God sees something in you that you don't see. And maybe the prayer needs to be, this just hit me, maybe the prayer needs to be today, God, help me to see myself the way you see me. Not that I become arrogant and cocky and filled with my ego, but no, may I humbly see myself as you see me, God as someone who can step into this moment because you believe in me. The second thing that I see in this is this. God, I trust you even when I don't see a way out. God, I trust you even though I don't see a way out. Can you imagine what it was like for Gideon hiding in the wine press, thrashing wheat over and over and over again? It's like, I don't see a way out of this. Every time we do something, the Midianites come and they attack us. They take all of our stuff and we're left with absolutely nothing. What am I going to do? I don't see a way out. It's like the escape rooms that they used to have. I don't know if they still have escape rooms. I have no idea. Do they have still escape? Is that what you call them? Those escape rooms? Good thing you guys are all in the room helping me out here today, this message. 
You know, you get in there, you don't know how to get out. You don't see a way out. You're, you know, the time is going, going down. You go, I got to get out of here. I don't see a way out. But this is sometimes how we see our lives. We, we don't see a way out. But God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this, that you are going to see a way out for me. There's a, there's a verse in Proverbs 3 that says that I'm going to trust in the Lord and not lean on my own understanding. And when I do that, he provides a way for us. See, right now, you can't see the way out of what you're facing. Those mornings when you can't get out of bed, those, those times when the darkness overwhelms you, those times when addiction grabs you or the news is bad or even the, the call to obedience is like, I don't know. It's like, okay, God, you see this path. I'm going to trust you. The third thing about Miami and this idea of here I am is this. God, I'm going to be obedient and leave the results to you. Mm. I want you to hear that. I'm going to be obedient, and the results are in your hands. One of the things that strikes me so fascinating when I read the stories of the Bible is I get to read the end. I love it. I get to see how it went. I get to see how it finishes, right? I can, I can read Gideon's story. I can read section 6, 7, and 8, and I can go, it all worked out. 300 men, soldiers, defeated the Midianites. It was just this incredible moment of deliverance and 40 years of peace. Gideon, he had to walk the path. Think about that. And he had to trust God with his results. Yeah, along the way, God revealed to him. You can read the story. There's moments where God revealed to him he's going to have victory, but yet it was still in the obedience of leaving the results to him. See, we want to control the outcome. We, want, we, we are control freaks. Like, we should all be in recovery for control freaks. Start a Facebook group. We need to recover from this. We need to let go of this because we want to control the outcome and the results. But when we say, here I am, I'm trusting you, God. I'm going to walk in obedience and leave the results to you. Fourth thing. The fourth thing is recognizing this, that one day we give an account before God for our lives. I need us to hear this. Because I believe too often times we are duped to believe we only live for now. And you're going to take life for now. And you're going to, what's that phrase? Uh, YOLO, you only live once. I don't think it's a phrase anymore, but just proves how old I am. It's just this idea, you only live once, so I'm going to live right for now. But the truth is, we are eternal beings that will give an account before God for our lives. And the beautiful thing for those who are followers of Jesus, have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we, we don't give an account for our sin because Jesus took care of that for us. He sees us through the person of Jesus Christ and the freedom that is available to us through him. That is incredible. What we give an account for is our faithfulness to the call on our lives. We are giving an account for the faithfulness of the things that God has placed in front of us. There's this moment in Matthew chapter 25 where it's the parable of the talents. It's these talents, these, um, these resources are given to these three different characters and, and they take it, the first two, they invest it and it doubles and it invests and doubles a third, doesn't just buries it in the ground. And when the owner of the talents comes back and the first two hear these words, good and faithful servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? When I stand before God, I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful to the call I had on your life. You were faithful with the talent that I gave you and the gifts that I gave you. It's the faithfulness that we are called to. 
My fear right now is that there are some in the midst of this season that we find ourselves in that are walking away from their faith and that are being lured by the things of this world and we're becoming unfaithful to the call of God on our lives. And the truth is, and this is by no means, this is with all sense of humility, is to recognize that one day we will stand before God and give an account. Here I am. Here I am before you, God. The last thing is this. The last element of understanding, this is our fifth one, is God, your will be done, not mine. God, your will be done, not mine. I was thinking about Jesus. I was thinking about the night that Jesus was betrayed. There's, it's captured for us in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and what we see in this moment is Jesus in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane. And we see him with his disciples. And he, the disciples, uh, he kind of leaves them back here. And he kind of says, will you pray? And they, they fall asleep. And we can't judge them because they just had a big meal. And it was late. And they're tired. And they're sleeping. And, and, but Jesus goes off. And he goes farther into the garden. And he prays. And I want to read for you what he prays. This is the most interesting part that so oftentimes we overlook and misunderstand about this moment. It says this. And going a little farther, he fell on his face. Jesus fell on his face and he prays, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew exactly what he was facing. He knew the crucifixion was coming. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He knew that he was going to be whipped. He knew that, there was, that people were going to mock him and spit on him. He knew that he was going to bear the sin of the world upon himself. He knew for the first time in eternity he would be separated from the Father. And in this moment, he says, is there another way? Please, if it's possible, Can there be another way? But then those powerful words that our Lord and Savior says is this, not my will, but your will. See, the thing that strikes me about our Hebrew word today, Hanaimi, is this idea of saying, God, I want your will to be done in this moment. As difficult as it may be, as dark as it is right in this moment, I am going to trust your will to be done in the midst of this because Jesus walked the path before us and showed us the way. He's not going to ask anything of you that he's not walked himself. Jesus walked before us. So oftentimes... I wrote this down. It's like, it's like we're a strong-willed two-year-old. I've got a granddaughter that's going to be two in the new year, and I, I, I actually have had opportunity to, to babysit her by myself, and uh, I can see this little strong will coming out in her. I love it because it's payback to his dad, her dad. But anyway... But it's interesting because sometimes we act like a strong-willed two-year-old before God. We shake our fists at him and say, no, I want my will. I want my plans. I want to control. But yet in this moment, we recognize that we're called to say, here I am.
Five critical steps to understanding what it means to live out this Hebrew word. And I knew, here I am. I'll repeat them for you real quickly. God, you see something in me I don't see. God, I trust even when I don't see a way out. God, I'm going to be obedient and leave the results to you. God, I know I'll give an account for my life one day. God, your will be done, not mine. When I broke that Sunday afternoon, or that afternoon in the darkness of my basement, I had to get to that moment of brokenness to recognize that it was God doing the work in me and through me. It's almost like I, I literally had to get to that place of complete surrender of here I am. I, I, I don't know what you're going through right now. I really don't. I do know some stories. We've got people in our community right now that are going through some deep, dark moments. Family struggles. Personal issues. There's some in this room that are walking through some very difficult moments with, with a brother or a sister and they're struggling with these things and they're moving through them. I believe the only way that we can rise up in the midst of it is to say, here I am. I want you to imagine with me for a moment if Gideon had said, nah, I'm good. I, I, I really like the wine press. I like hiding here, you know. It's like comfortable. It's really convenient. But he didn't. He stepped into the moment. I was thinking about Vital Point Church. I was thinking about our church and the chaos of the last year and a half and the confusion and the wondering of what in the world is going to happen. And, and I believe that it's not just about an individual saying, here I am. I believe it's about a community that says, we are here. We are here. End of last summer, we didn't know what we were going to do. Schools weren't going to let us back in. We weren't be able to have physical meetings in person. What were we going to do? And a church called Vital Point decided to trust God and to step forward to purchase a central facility in Poplar Hill. And in that moment, out of obedience and trusting God for the results... For the last number of months, we've been live streaming out of this place. We're going to be in person in a few weeks in this place. Exeter is going to be opening up again. We're looking at future sites down the road, one in Clinton. It's because of this. There was a group of people that chose not to choose the, the fetal position, but to trust God and to step forward. Because here's the thing that I want you to know. When we say, here I am, or we are here it opens the door for God to do miracles. It opens the door for God to reveal himself to us so that we find a way through that strengthens our faith, that creates a resilience in our faith, that shows others that who God is. Gideon took 300 men and went and defeated the Midianites and it was all to the glory of God. It shouldn't have worked. They should have been defeated. But because of God, they stepped into that moment and God did a miracle. Is it possible right now that God's wanting to do a miracle in your life, but you're standing in the way? Will it be today where you surrender? Here I am. 
and allow him to work and move as he chooses to. And I mean, here I am. Listen to this song. What a powerful song that speaks to the truth of what we've been looking at today. You know, every once in a while, I'll be just praying through as the team is leading a closing song. And um, it's like, okay, God, what do you want me to say? What are the words to call us to action? And uh, sometimes God gives me, uh, for whatever reason, images or pictures or ideas. And in those quick moments, I have to discern, is it of God or not? Or is it something like I ate the night before or whatever? But it's these moments where I'm just trying to sense the nudges of God. And um, Mark, as you were singing, there was this thought that came to my mind that there's, that there's someone watching right now that's just about ready to bail out of their situation and give up but you're just right there where God is about to do a miracle. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how that lands. You know, Mark, we sometimes do these things, don't we, right? We just sense that moment where we step in and just trust that God's gonna use this in some way. And I, for whatever reason, I just have the sense that there's someone's about ready to bail. And I'm saying, don't bail yet because God's about to do something great and powerful. So here's what I want you to do. If you're, if you're like wrestling with something right now, you can text in church. We've got the number on the screen for you. Team's ready. They'll pray with you. They'll text you. They'll interact with you. They can even set up a phone call. And if it's something that's serious enough, they will let me know and I can connect with you as well. And, and please don't, uh, that nudge that you're feeling right now, don't, don't walk away from it. Just step into that moment and text that number. I uh, also wanted to say again, uh, we say it every week, it's, it's just amazing to me that, um, you know, for a church, we've not passed an offering plate in like 18 months and, or longer, and um, God continues to still provide. And uh, we as a church continue to see his mission and vision fueled through the resources. So if you're a person that continues to give uh, regularly, I just want to say thank you. God's using that to change lives and change eternity. So please uh, just know my gratitude and my thankfulness to you. And uh, if that's not something that you do regularly, it's like, I, I just don't do this thing. That's okay. Um, that's all right. Don't feel any pressure. But uh, you can give through vitalpointchurch.com and, and do that. If you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've not put your faith in him, today's the day. Today's the day. And the question I ask if, is this, is why not? because I know that God's been speaking to you. Put your trust in him. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the power of this truth of what we've been looking at through the life of Gideon. And to realize a posture of here I am helps us to rise up to follow the things that you have laid out before, whether it's an act of obedience or whether it's walking through the darkness that we find ourselves in. God, you want to do a miracle. You want to do a work, and we trust you with that. We give these things to you, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being part of today's online experience. We hope you'll be part of tonight, uh, uh, Worship on the Lawn at 6 p.m.